Well, hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. I have to say, I love it when listeners get in touch with me and tell me how they're feeling about the story. <laughs> For instance, how cross they are that such and such a character did that thing or when they tell me their predictions for the story. I'm sure I know what's going on. It fills me with glee. I'm never going to tell you if you're right or wrong, but I sure love that you care about the characters. I hope this next chapter also gives you cause to speculate. It's a bit on the long side, so I'm not going to yammer any longer. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 8. Their Only Chance So far so good, Kier thought. Camp time found them on the tip of the mountain spur just northeast of Kami's Tower. Tomorrow they would head down into the rolling grasslands and travel more directly northeast to the cold fells where Kier hoped to receive more detailed instruction from the wizard. The westering sun warmed Kier's back, though it beamed through the filter of haze on the horizon. Making sure she was still visible to Janik, she took a few steps further into the bushes. Even while collecting firewood, they had all agreed to avoid heading off alone anywhere. She had seen lots of promising dried spindly twigs that would make excellent kindling. Just as she bent down to twist the dead sprigs off their mother plant, she heard a voice and froze, because it was coming not from Janik but from directly in front of her. Kier. The urgent susurration was like a breeze in the bushes. She looked up at the source of the voice, glanced back at Janik, then squinted into the bush. Who said that? she demanded in a whisper, though she did not call out to the dwarf. It is I. Have you so soon forgotten our previous meeting? Kier's jaw dropped as she finally glimpsed a pale human face within the bushes. She clutched the spindly branches as though they would support her weight. It was the man from the alley in Shale, the one who had told her to go around the square. The hairs on her neck stood up. How did you get here? Quickly, there's no time to explain. Explain what? You and your friends are in danger here, he said. You must move deeper into the trees. A band of goblins is approaching from the northwest, about three hundred strong. If they maintain their current pace, they will round the tip of the spur in about thirty minutes. And if they come across your party, you will surely be destroyed. Why are you telling me this, not Derry? He's our captain. I do not watch out for Derry. I watch out for you. I must go. Tell them. Tell them now. The man retreated into the bushes and was gone, leaving behind a vague scent of heliotrope. Kier stood dumbfounded for a moment or two. What was she supposed to do? I can't tell them we have to move because a strange man in the bush told me so. It would be no less strange if she assured them she'd met him before. She figured, I met him in the alley in Shale wouldn't fill her friends with confidence. She would just have to come up with something else. You talking to yourself over there? Janik hollered. Kier collected herself and grabbed as many of the twigs as she could. Uh, yeah, I was just thinking this stuff would be great for kindling. She joined the dwarf with her arms full, and they headed back to where the group was preparing camp on the edge of the forest. What to do? Wait a moment. Why did she believe him? Why not see if he was for real? 
An idea took shape in her mind as she dumped her wood contribution next to the ring of stones Skim Noddle had arranged. Their camp overlooked the plain, and Kier brushed stray strands of hair from her face as she stood watching the rippling waves of the grasses. Her gaze turned involuntarily toward the north a couple of times, wishing she could see around the bluff, until finally she said, "'I have to piss. I'll be back in a minute.' Once she lost sight of the camp over the rise, Kier turned her casual stroll into a swift gait and trudged up the hillside. A little higher up now, she peered over an outcropping of heather-covered rocks and saw in the distance, as promised, a patrol of goblins, about three hundred strong, moving fast. At once relieved and alarmed, Kier fled back to the camp. Quickly, we've got to move! She hurried to gather things together. What is it? Derry asked. "'Goblins! About three hundred of them. They'll be around that spur in no more than twenty minutes, and we're in plain view.' They scurried around, assembling belongings. Skimnoddle scattered the campfire rocks, Janik tossed their wood back into the bushes, Derry and Fennel led the horses deeper into the forest and up the slope. Kier gave the area a quick once-over to make sure they'd grabbed everything, and Jaskelin finished off by magically obliterating all signs of their temporary residence. Farther back and higher into the foothills, they found a suitable spot to stop. Fennel located an excellent vantage point down to the plain through a break in the trees, and they lay low and watched as the goblins marched by, not two furlongs from where the group had just departed. Not until the last rank of foul things was a good mile beyond their place of concealment did they finally breathe easy. "'Where were they going, do you think?' Skimnoddle quivered. "'Any number of places.' Derry continued to watch them through the bushes. "'At that pace they'll round the northern spur of the Grey Mountains in about three or four days. I would hate to suggest they were headed to Donan. Perhaps they were even going to the Gulf of Tarash to get on a ship and head south, though I shudder to think it.' "'Wow, Kier, good thing you saw them!' Fennel laid his head back on a bed of moss. "'How did you come to see them, Kier?' Derry asked. Kier hesitated only slightly before answering, "'Like I said, I had to piss, and then I saw the hillside beyond and thought I'd take a look. Sure was lucky I did.' Jaskelin placed his fingertips together and peered over them at her. Derry took first watch that night while the others slept, and Duskellen meditated. The air was mild, and a few stars showed themselves from behind the clouds once in a while. He stood facing the place where they'd seen the goblin army pass by, and wondered why the wind always seemed to fall at night and rise again in the morning as if it needed rest like they did. Usually, Duskellen went straight to bed after re-energizing, but tonight, when Derry heard him stir, the mage appeared at his side. "'Trouble?' the captain asked in a low voice. "'Nothing pressing,' Duskellen replied softly. "'I wish to hear your opinion. "'What did you make of Kier's announcement this afternoon?' "'Derry thought for a moment, puzzled. "'Do you mean about the goblins?' "'He couldn't think of any other announcement. "'I was tremendously relieved that she saw them, of course. "'We'd have been slaughtered.' "'Hm, yes, that's true,' Duskellen rocked forward on his feet.' I was referring more to the coincidence of her going up the hillside just at that time. Explain. Ever since we left Kami, I have felt a, a hint of power surrounding her. I know about her medallion, which also emits a magic that I do not recognize, but I have grown accustomed to its aroma might be an accurate enough descriptor for it, for a lay person. I sense something new, though— 
and I have come to wonder what else occurred between Kier and Kami that she does not share with us. I feel compelled to observe her behavior and question anything I see as suspicious. And it strikes you as suspicious that she saw the goblins? Derry asked doubtfully. I watched her look in that direction prior to heading off that way. I sensed that she knew there was danger coming, and I am not convinced that she had time to both relieve herself and casually go to admire the view. Derry frowned. What are you suggesting? Please remember when I say this that we have known Kier for only a short time. I see her as an unknown variable which could be dangerous on our mission. She says she is not a magic user, and yet magic surrounds her. I believe we must at least watch her closely for any other strange occurrences. Derry considered Giskelin's words. He thought the mage was perhaps overreacting, but it was his responsibility to listen to each of his companions and not brush them off. Very well, watch her, but let's give her the benefit of the doubt for now. Be careful how much you read into every little action, Derry warned him. You may see things that aren't really there just because you are looking for them. The party descended the hillside on the third morning and plunged into a sea of purple. Blueberry bushes carpeted the rolling landscape as far as the eye could see, and the riders dismounted to walk and pluck the plump, early-ripened fruit. They filled every vessel they carried, including mouths and bellies, and the horses nibbled the fruit and greenery. All that day and two more they traveled northeast, and the air grew more and more chill. A dampness drifted down over them from the Talankang Mountains, and no amount of sunshine warmed the breeze. The biting wind was unstopped by her cloak, no matter how tightly Kier drew it around herself, and it only got worse as they approached their destination. Finally, on the fifth afternoon out of Kami's, the dismal view of the cold fells greeted them. Kier stared. Aptly named. Derry nodded grimly as they looked over the rocky hillocks that jutted out of the expanse of land before them. The grass ended just a few paces beyond the bottom of the hill on which the horses now paused, and the only green to be seen among the rocks was the lichen that clung stubbornly to the otherwise barren surface. Gray, gray for leagues. Rock, crag, escarpment, divided into sections by fissures and wind, chill wind and fast, flying down between the peaks of Talankang to the north. Kier huddled into her cloak to shield herself from its talons. This is summer. I wouldn't want to be here six months from now. Derry pulled his hood over his head against the frigid breeze. I don't think we ought to take the horses down there, Fennel called from farther along the hilltop. Derry didn't respond. His face was locked in consternation. "'Gorgeous spot, this is!' Janik pronounced from Kier's right, and he wasn't being sarcastic. "'I could stay here for days, wandering, searching for signs of whoever might have called this place home.' "'We might just be here for days at that,' Derry finally said, though entirely without Janik's passion. He dismounted and scanned the area with narrowed brows. Kier slid off Trigg's back and stood in the shelter of his body, using him like a windbreak. Fennel leaned over and rested his head on his arms across Layout's neck. "'What now, Captain?' "'Kier, how do we even know where to begin?' Derry's tone was just as devoid of life as the landscape. Kier didn't want to buy into his despairing tone. This was only their first step, after all. If they succeeded here, there would still be two more ingredients left to find. If they gave up this easily at the first step, then she didn't want to imagine how they would feel if things became truly dismal. 
I don't know for sure. I expect if we just head down there, well, we'll eventually find something. She gave him a cheerful nod and took up the reins. Derry spoke so everyone could hear. I suggest we take the horses down the hill, at least. They can graze down there, too, on the bit of grass that's there, and it may be warmer, a little. Kier, you and Fennel will venture into the eastern section, and Janik, you and Skimnod will take the western. Jaskelin and I have less aptitude for this kind of terrain. We will remain with the horses. He started down the hill. The two parties ventured into the crags and spread apart. If one found anything that looked remotely cavernous, they were to call Kier, or whistle. She wasn't really sure how they would get her attention in this howling wind. It didn't matter. She was quite certain she would be the one to find what she was looking for. She was meant to, and she would. Kami would have seen to that. She and Fennel stayed within eyesight of each other and headed northeast. Dwarf and Halfling headed northwest and were soon out of sight to the other two, hidden among the crags. Kier wondered how Skimnoddle would do, walking among these sharp, unsteady rocks. Janik didn't concern her. He was born among rocks and was probably much more at ease here than in the plainlands. Fennel, not surprisingly, was light of foot and stepped along just as easily as if he were dancing a reel. She was astonished at her own ability. She found it much easier than she'd expected, that the rocks were sturdier than she'd anticipated, or it may just have been that she had keen enough eyes to spot safe footing. Climbing was a matter of using the cracks in the sides of the rock faces, and step two, three, she was up. Going down was only slightly trickier, squatting to look for the footholds. Turn, and down two, three, she was there. As long as she turned to her right to avoid catching her sword, she was fine. Maybe I ought to take up dancing after all, she thought. Only once she slipped and came down hard on her backside. Fennel started toward her, but she waved him on. No damage. She thought about how this land must have been formed. It was obviously not a glacial creation. There was not a smooth rock in sight, let alone a valley smoothed out by the vast sheets of ice. It also couldn't have been a riverbed, or the stone would have been worn down by the water. It was all too jagged. Earthquakes, I guess. She climbed and stood on the top of a hillock. The wind whistled through the rocks like so many flutes, all playing different pitches, the musicians refusing to cooperate. She pulled her cloak about her and turned back to see if Derry was visible from here. He was. She could just see his torso in the distance. He must have been sitting astride Donegill because that was all she could see. No Jaskell and none of the other horses. For all their walking through the past hour, he was only about two furlongs away. How much farther could they have gone if they hadn't had to do all this up-and-down nonsense? She waved, and he waved back. But she remembered it wasn't distance that mattered. She was looking for something. An entrance to a cavern. Her dream had told her that the Falander lined the walls of a cavern. She caught Fennel's eye and held up her hand to call a halt. She didn't know what she was going to tell him just yet. She had to think for a moment. Shutting her eyes as she stood atop a crag, she let the wind buffet her face. The pale sun was to her left, though it gave no warmth. A sudden gust whipped her braid around, and her arms instinctively went up to help keep her balance, but it slowed again, and she was able to concentrate. Sure enough, she felt Kami prompting her again. Whether he was communicating with her telepathically, or he had planted these thoughts in her mind while she slept there, Kier had no way of knowing. <laughs> Time-release dreams, she mused, thoughts that had been placed but were allowed to surface only after a certain amount of time. In her mind, the wind was directly on her left cheek. She turned to make it so. In her mind, she had to climb over four hills of rock. 
She opened her eyes and squatted to find the footholds, then turn, step two, three, and she was down. Stepping and hopping due east, she clambered, leapt over a deep crack, walked, climbed, clambered some more, and waved fennel over. Four rock hillocks later, and her mind told her to climb down and around an outcropping, which she found almost immediately. The elf followed her, awestruck into silence at whatever magic was helping Kier find this place. Kier didn't understand it either, but she mentally thanked Kami all the same. There. She pointed at a large granite boulder leaning against the wall. It was blissfully calm down here, out of the wind. The whistling could still be heard from above, but fainter. Good thing Janik didn't come with us. The gap behind the boulder was not very wide. The dwarf's bulk would never have managed to pass through. He might have been able to move the boulder out of the way, Fennel said helpfully. I don't suppose either of us thought to bring a torch, Kier peered behind the enormous rock. Well, I don't have a torch, but will this do? Fennel put a hand inside his cloak and withdrew what looked like a simple stick. But when he held it out, she saw that it was actually a long, narrow tube with the slightest of S-shapes to it. Gee, that's remarkable, Fennel, Kier said dryly. I'm not sure a stick will be quite as useful as a torch would be right now, though. What the hell is it? He looked at her as if she'd just asked him what an arrow was. It's a rod of light, of course, one of the simplest and therefore least expensive types of magic available, which is the only reason I have it. He held it up again and peered into it. It's easy to store to boot. He then surprised her by sticking one end of it in his mouth. She felt her face crinkle into a grimace. He continued to stare at her, scratching his elbow, with an expression that told her this was the most obvious thing in the world to want to be doing while in a barren wasteland. This is fun, she rested her shoulder against the rock wall. He held up a finger for her to be patient. Tapping her foot, feeling nothing of the kind, she waited. Then she leaned forward. The stick was beginning to glow, just faintly. The elf finally took it out of his mouth. It'll warm up in a minute or two. Are we going to get going, or are we going to just stay out here where everything is gray? Kier started to say something, but didn't. Instead, she turned around and squeezed through the narrow opening, pressing her sword against her body to keep it out of the way. Fennel came right behind her, holding the rod of light aloft so she could see her way down the naturally rocky path. They walked single file down the steep, sloped passageway. How about handing me that light for a bit so I can see in front of me, Kier said. Fennel relinquished it without comment. She held it at shoulder height, out to the side, so it would still light Fennel's way. The rod illuminated with a strong, steady radiance, not as intense as a torch, but certainly comparable to multiple candles. Its added bonuses were that it did not flicker, felt cool in her hand, and was smokeless, a particularly useful tool for exploring a narrow underground tunnel. After a few steps, the path wasn't as steep, but it angled left and right until neither of them had a notion of direction. Kier put a hand up and brushed her palm along the low ceiling. Fennel occasionally stooped to avoid cracking his head. Ceiling, floor, and walls were straight, jagged, and smooth, as if they'd been hacked out with a massive chisel with no finishing work done. The pair had to tread carefully, the natural steps not following any pattern of regularity. "'See any lichen by any chance?' Fennel asked hopefully. "'This place is not exactly what I would call homey, and I'd just as soon find what we're looking for and get out if you don't mind.' "'Don't get panicky on me now, Fennel. I have no control over any of this. Take your complaint up with Kami. I'd just like to know why, in all the corners of Rydris, this is the only place to find Falander.' 
Just then the tunnel widened and they found themselves in a small chamber. It was empty with three doorways leading from it. Kier sighed. How stereotypical. The ceiling was higher than in the tunnel, though, to Fennel's relief. Kier held the light up. They stood in breathless awe. She used the rod to trace the angular stripes on the walls formed by layer upon layer of rock, natural decorations that manifested the innumerable centuries taken for the cavern's formation. Deep below the surface, not a note of the flutes could be heard. Who, Fennel whispered, afraid even his breath was a disturbance, created this, the tunnel, the room? Kier shook her head. All I know is I'm looking for lichen, she whispered back, and there isn't any here. Which passageway do you think? I don't know. You're the one with the dreams. She looked about them. This seems almost like a foyer or something. She closed her eyes, hoping for another clue, but none was forthcoming. Well, I've always had good feelings about the left. The elf followed her obediently. The level passage twisted and turned, and Kier was grateful there were, so far, no other passages leading off it. She doubted even Fennel's tracking skills would be helpful in getting them out of here if they were lost. There was not a trace of dust for them to disturb, and their feet left no prints on the rock floor. Kier stumbled suddenly. There had been a shudder in the very solid rock. She was about to carry on walking, but Fennel touched her arm. Kier, I think that was a tremor. Possibly. She began walking again. But, Kier, don't you think we ought not to stay down here? What are you talking about? We haven't found the Falander yet. But it was a tremor, Kier. Very good, Fennel. You've done your studying. The passageway forked in front of them. Left again, I think, don't you? But Fennel started to speak, but followed her. She had the light. This passage was wider, and soon two doorways appeared, one on each side. They entered one. A low slab lay in one corner, and a taller, narrow rock stood in another. A stone box, like a chest, sat up against the wall with the withered remains of a wooden lid. A bedroom? Kier said. Bed, washstand, and a chest for belongings. Given the right adornments, this could be as comfortable as a chamber in Shale Castle. Eight other almost identical rooms along the passage solidified their speculations. The slabs of rock were in different configurations, and the lids of the chests in varied condition of decomposition. Some rooms were larger, with larger stone slabs. For couples? The rooms were, not surprisingly, windowless, though the air quality wasn't too bad for underground. The stone chests were all empty. I sure do wonder who used to live here. Fennel agreed. And it's as if they left in an organized fashion, too. How do you mean? Well, observe, there are no remains of living creatures, so they didn't die here. They didn't leave anything behind, so they either didn't have much stuff or they had lots of time to pack. It doesn't seem like a hasty departure, that's all. It was planned. The raising of the light to see farther down the hallway revealed that there were many more doorways lining the hall and not a feather of lichen to be seen. They decided to try the right-hand fork. It was as they turned back down the hall that they felt another tremor, harder this time. They both touched the wall to steady themselves. Kia, really, I think we should get out of here. Go ahead, then, she snapped, betraying her own nerves. I'm not leaving without what we came for. Her stubborn side could win any argument with her nerves. Listen, she said more calmly, tremors happen all the time in places like this. It doesn't mean there's danger. Look at all the people who lived here. 
You'll note it's decidedly unpopulated at the moment, the elf muttered as he followed her. She said nothing. By the way, how many places like this have you visited in your lifetime? Kier went up the right-hand fork. Several paces up the passage was a wide-arched doorway. The rod of light was not nearly bright enough to illuminate the whole room, but a few steps in each direction led them to believe fairly strongly that this was the rock-world equivalent of a great hall. No ornate stone pillars and arches as would be found in a dwarven hall, just practical simplicity. Jagged pillars held up the ceiling that was only twice as high as the ceilings in the bedrooms, none of the vastness of a dwarven hall either. Simple stone benches or stools lining stone slab tables, row upon row, and at the far end they found the entrance to the kitchens. Fennel had forgotten his desire to trade places with Janik. I can hardly wait to tell Janik about this. He grinned. He'll go puce with envy. Kier just grunted. What sort of industry kept them going, do you suppose? Fennel asked. Kier had no means even to guess. She was getting fidgety. This is all very nice and all, but where is the Falander? Her desire to get out to the relative safety of ground level was intensifying. She pushed herself onward to look in the kitchens. As large as in Shale Castle with two gigantic stone fireplaces that had steel spits fastened right onto the rock, countertops, tables, shelves for storage all hewn out of stone, a great gaping hole in the floor in one corner was not quite covered by a lid that used to be a thick round of oak, but was now crumbling with decay. Fennel nudged it with a boot, and a few hunks of rotting wood tumbled into the hole. A second or two later, a splash met their ears, followed by a dank, wet smell. Kier moved farther in to view the back corners of the kitchen. She stopped short, holding up the rod to see that the ceiling had caved in. It had not happened recently, but Kier was forced to recognize that something greater than a mild tremor had occurred at some point. Kier rubbed her left shin with her right heel and bit her tongue. She looked at Fennel. He had seen it too, and his brow was creased with worry. They left the kitchens. There were two other passages off this corridor— as they hurried past the first, they felt a lightness in the air, a breath of freshness that was unmistakably reminiscent of outside. Although it was nice to know where they could come if they needed an alternate exit, it was useless now without the Falander. The other doorway led into a passageway that was blocked by fallen stone. They looked at each other again. There was really no point in saying anything. They retraced their steps to the foyer to try the right-hand doorway. Even Kier stepping up her pace now. Her blood pulsed in her temples. Darry and the others had no idea where they were, only a vague notion of which direction they'd gone. Fennel glanced apprehensively and wishfully at the passage by which they had entered. "'It's no good, Fennel. I know, I know, we can't leave until we've found what we came for.' They both questioned the wisdom of that when the next tremor came. Even Kier was getting anxious. What if they didn't find the lichen?' No, Kier thought, Kami wouldn't do that. She didn't try to answer the question, why not? The right-hand passage was long. About five minutes they stumbled along it, growing weary of the search and the exploration having lost its fascination. Suddenly Fennel reached out his hand again. Do you smell that? Kier sniffed but could smell nothing but dry, ageless stone. She shook her head and they kept on. How long does the light last, anyway? She wasn't sure she wanted the answer. Oh, it'll keep going strong for a long time yet. It's supposed to last a day. 
Hey, wait a minute, I smell it too. Kier picked up her pace. Whatever it was, it smelled organic. They began to run, their nimble feet continuing the same dance they'd used above ground on the crags, missing any cracks or juts in the rock, until finally they reached yet another doorway. They burst into the room and held aloft the rod of light. It would have been obvious to anyone who'd ever entered a physicer's preparation room that this was one. Shelf upon tiny shelf, from floor to ten-foot ceiling, had at one time held all manner of items used for medicinal purposes. The room was large enough for more than one person to have worked here with adequate space. Every few feet along the wall, footholds like those of a ladder had been hewn into the rock, and handholds of iron had been sunken in higher up. The physicers, or healers, or alchemists, for that matter, could easily access the upper storage areas. Beneath the counter space in the middle of the room, all around the outside, were tiny drawers all carved out of stone. Apparently the stone workers didn't bother wasting time in other areas of the underground village in order to use their skills more effectively here. In one corner was another, smaller well. Fennel opened a couple of drawers. Most were empty, but one low drawer was not. Look here! He held up a hawk's claw. I guess they forgot this. He put it in his pocket, just as Kier gasped. Clinging to the walls of this exquisite room was a yellowish lichen. Kier's only guess was that the evaporating water in the well triggered growth in whatever organic material was left either lying around or in the air after the residents had departed. Those bizarre growing conditions were surely rare, which would explain why, of all the corners of Rydris, Kami had sent her here. "'Is this the right stuff?' Fennel asked. "'Well, of course!' She shrugged. It, it must be. I haven't seen any other lichen in the place. Have you? Then another tremor came, and this time dust and pebbles fell from the ceiling. Quickly, Kier said, and they began tearing the coarse webs of the plant off the walls and stuffing them into the pouches they had brought. How much do we need? Fennel asked. I, I don't know. Let's just take as much as we can fit. Her pouch crammed, Kier yanked on the drawstring just as a massive jolt threw them both to the stone floor. They were making such good time. Sure, they'd ridden the horses harder than Hunter would usually have done, but these were unusual circumstances. And besides, after tomorrow, the horses could rest as long as they liked. If they started early and took short rests as they had been doing, they would reach the cold fells by late tomorrow afternoon. Hunter had never been to the cold fells, but from what he'd heard, if Kier and company were looking for something, they would be there quite a while. On a peaceful mission, they would not anticipate any threat, so Hunter's band would take them by surprise. His horse stumbled. Was that a tremor? Nothing to worry about. It had stopped. We'll have to survey the situation, though. It's Kier I'm supposed to take. Then he pondered what to do with the others. Kill them? That would hinder their mission, all right. But damn it, if their mission failed, Alon would die. Frederick could not let that happen. How to make it look as if he were trying to thwart them without actually doing so? A sudden jolt struck, and the horses whinnied in panic. Frederick was thrown, and the animal galloped off amid the swaying land. His men clung to the grasses and cried out to the gods of their choice. Frederick whispered a silent thank you for what was likely to cause a delay. Kier cried out, and they tried to cling to the firmness of the floor as it rocked, not gently, from side to side. 
Kier grasped all around her. There was nothing to hold on to and nowhere to find shelter. Anything she thought ought to be sturdy was not. Fennel! she screamed, shaking, rumbling, and roaring. Who knew rock could roar like that? Like gigantic waves in a storm at sea, she was bounced and jounced along the floor until she was certain there would be bruises covering her entire body, and the crashing noise offered no comfort at all. Thundering crashes of rock outside in the corridor, and splinters of rock falling all over her, dust, pebbles, clouds of it coming in from out there. She buried her face in her elbow on the floor so she could breathe. Then the swaying slowed and stopped. The smell of dry, dry rock was heavy in the air. Where the world around them had been roaring deafeningly, it was now deadly quiet. At least thirty seconds it had been, and it was another thirty before the friends could look each other in the eye. Fennel's hair and eyelashes were sprinkled with dust and bits of stone, and his usually brilliantly blue eyes were cloudy. Kier imagined that she looked no better. "'Is it over?' she whispered, afraid to make the shaking start again. "'I think so,' he replied, just as softly. They stared at each other, horrified. "'Are you okay? I won't know until I move. You? Same.' Finally they rose, gingerly, and examined themselves, brushing off dust. Kier ensured that none of the precious Falander had been lost in the chaos. "'We were lucky,' he said. "'Nothing fell on to us.' Some of the drawers had jounced out of place, smashing to the floor around them, and Kier felt a pang of regret that the room had suffered damage. Luck is relative, she pointed out, wincing as she discovered another bump on her left knee. I'm not anxious to see how much or how little is left of the way out of here. Let's hurry! Fennel snatched up the rod of light, still glowing strongly, from where it had landed after being jolted out of Kier's hand. They went back the way they had come, holding their cloaks over their noses to filter the dust, though coughing could not be prevented entirely. They stepped carefully over fallen clumps of stone and avoided the sides of the passage for fear of loosening more of it. Their footfalls echoed dully in the hall. Around a bend they stopped short. The way was completely blocked. The corridor had imploded. The entire roof, all the way to the surface of the cold fells, had dropped down and obliterated any sign of there having been an underground village beyond this point. The only two ways out of here that we know of were beyond this mess. We couldn't possibly have arrived here yesterday, Kier muttered. Fennel sighed. We'll have to go the other way and see what's at the other end of the passage beyond the healer's room. You're awful calm all of a sudden, Kier remarked. Fennel chuckled softly. <laughs> I guess when you fear the worst, then the worst happens. Well, there's nothing more to fear. Kier envied her friend's composure. Her heart pounded in her throat, and a trickle of sweat ran down her side. With furrowed brow, she took the light source from Fennel, turned around, and walked deliberately the other way, limping from her bruised knees. Fennel had long legs, and he needed them to keep up with her. The corridor went on for what seemed like miles to the two weary explorers, with only a few small chambers along it, possibly an infirmary area, possibly simple storage spaces. The rubble was hard to avoid in the inadequate light. Twice Kier tripped over debris, one of those times taking her flat to the ground. Her palms were scraped as if she'd been climbing rope. "'What did these people do?' 
Pierre kicked a rock aside in frustration. I mean, they must have had more than one way out of here, or else how would they get above ground to get food to hunt? She thought with yearning of Jeskelin and the tunneling spell he was working on, though he probably wasn't ready even if he knew where they were. It could very well be that there were other exits further along any of the other passages we went down besides this one, Fennel said reasonably. We just didn't go far enough. Well, that's not much help now. Even if we had found them, we couldn't have left without the Falander. I hate to point this out, Kier, but if we don't get out of here, it won't do much good for us to have found the Falander. Shut up, Fennel. She stopped short at a fork in the corridor. What do you think? Do you have a coin we can flip? No, he answered. I mean, I have a coin, but see, that way is a narrower passage. This way looks a lot more like an entrance hall to me. He pointed to the right opening, which was indeed quite a bit wider. Too bad it never occurred to them to use signage, she murmured. All right, that sounds logical to me. They hurried to the right. About twenty paces later, their noses were bombarded with another smell. This time it was hot and moist. Steam came at them from somewhere farther on. Shortly thereafter, the corridor opened into a cavern. The rod of light could not penetrate its depth. Just past the entrance, some steps led downward, each step wider than the one above it, and the third one down was under water. The sound of trickling and dripping was eerie in the darkness. Fennel took the light from Kier and held it as high as he could, allowing his elven eyes to pierce the misty murk. It's a hot spring. His voice was filled with wonder. Can you see? Just let your eyes relax. Yes, I can see. Oh, hey, it looks like there's been some damage in here. He moved around on the narrow ledge surrounding the pool of steaming water. Kier went down a couple of steps. It was a bit slippery. She crouched and cupped her hand in the water. Wow, that's beautiful. Time for a swim? The water trickled through her fingers, and the echo of the falling drops offered a hint at the size of the cavern. Hey, don't get too far away. It's awful dark over here. God's breath, came Fennel's voice from twenty paces along the pool edge. Look at this. There must have been another massive earthquake sometime. The rock makes nearly a wall over here, and it's obvious there was once another whole pool extending off that one. You can see the beginning of the curve. Kier could already feel sweat seeping from her pores. I wonder if this is what these people did, she suggested. I mean, a large physicking prep room, all those chambers along the corridor, and now a hot spring. Maybe people came here for healing. As Fennel made his way back, she lowered herself to sit on the top step, careful not to slip on the moss that coated the rock. The light in Fennel's hand drew near. Moss? She looked up at Fennel, but her gaze moved past him over his shoulder, her breath caught. It's not moss at all. Oh, God's Kami, she moaned as she raised herself upright. Fennel looked around. Where? We got the wrong one, Fennel. Her voice trembled with urgency. Look on the walls. She clambered up the steps, afraid of losing her footing in the damp. He held aloft the light that glittered softly on the moisture on the walls, moisture from the condensation that trickled down among a soft, web-like lichen of a bluish-green color. "'This lichen is the wrong one,' she said in a quiet squeal, pulling out her pouch and trying to undo the very secure knot. Her fingers fumbled. "'How do you know?' Fennel set down the light rod and did the same. "'I don't know. The moisture dripping down. This is not Falander.' She stopped a brief moment to point. "'That is!' Then another tremor hit. 
not heavy enough to throw them off balance, just a low rumble, just enough to stop hearts beating. Small amounts of debris fell in the doorway. Shit, shit, shit! She finally got the pouch open and frantically tore lichen out of it. She cursed herself for packing it so full. We still don't even know how to get out of here! Lichen from both pouches fell discarded into the hot water. Fingers tore the new plant off the walls and stuffed it into the emptied sacks. This was why Kami sent me here, she cried. These people were healers, and this stuff grows here in these perfect conditions so that they could use it for healing people. That other stuff was just a coincidence. Get as much as we can, and we have to get out of here, Fennel said. There has got to be a way out farther along. There isn't a farther along, Fennel. The corridor ended here. Her pouch was nearly full. Gods, you're right. Then back to that other passage. That's got to be it. There was nothing more to say. The pouches were full and tightened. Fennel grabbed the light rod and her hand. The aftershock struck. Both Kier and Fennel cried out as they tumbled backwards into the hot water. Kier fought desperately to reach the surface, hindered by her armor and weapons. The water had an unusual buoyancy to it, for which Kier was eternally grateful. Rocks narrowly missed her as they splashed into the pool, and she didn't want to know where they had come from. She felt herself yanked, and it was Fennel, not as weighed down as she, dragging both of them toward the edge of the spring. She got both elbows up onto the ledge and held on madly. "'Fennel, you're bleeding!' Kier spoke through gasps, nodding in alarm at the dark smudge oozing from a gash on the side of his head." He moved a hand up to wipe it out of his eye. Oh, thought it was just water. He sounded dreamy. Stop it, Kier said sharply, frightened by his casual acceptance of the wound. Hey, look, Fennel said with bizarre cheerfulness. The rod of light floats. He rescued it from the water and held it up for her to see. That's pretty lucky. He set it on the ledge in front of them. Well, like I said, luck is relative. She indicated over her shoulder to the entrance, which was, naturally, now nearly completely filled with stone. Suppose we'd be able to move enough of those rocks to— She turned back to Fennel in time to see his eyes roll into his head as he passed out. No! she screamed, and just barely caught him under one arm before he could droop into the water. The extra weight pulled them both down, and she kicked desperately to raise them up so she could get a better hold on the slimy, slippery edge. Again, she thanked the buoyancy of the water. Gods, if I could make it to the steps! She kicked her feet to shift in that direction. And the rod of light chose that moment to lose power. Hey! Kier cried. No, no, no! Not now! She pleaded, but its glow grew fainter and fainter and went out. Utter utter darkness, dark as death must be. Kier was gripped by a terror she had never known. It clasped her heart with both hands and squeezed until she thought she might scream. Shit! God damn it! Damn you, Kami! The words tumbled out, pushed from behind by near panic, and the fact that their sound seemed to travel no farther than the wall to which she clung brought her closer to tears than she had ever been. Fennel, she whimpered pleading, shaking the sodden, deadweight elf. The sound of trickling and dripping had been eerie before. Now it was like harsh, devilish laughter echoing all around and taunting her. Kicking frantically and inching along with her elbow, she tried to move toward the steps, but in her blindness she had no idea if she was gaining any ground. She slipped and lost hold, and both of them plunged again. 
The cavern's only answer to Kier's silent scream was a mouthful of water, and she came up coughing and spluttering, realizing that she couldn't tell if Fennel's head was above water. Treading water for one in armor was bad enough. Trying to keep the two of them up was going to exhaust her sooner than she wanted to imagine. Extra buoyancy or not, they were both wearing armor and steel weapons. No amount of mineral salts could offset that. Her arm ached from holding his waterlogged body. Her other arm ached trying to keep hold of the wall. Her legs melted to jelly from kicking. Oh God, oh God, she couldn't even decide which God to pray to. Another tremor sent yet another sheaf of sharp rocks hailing onto them. Her stomach sent up a burst of terror that caught in her throat, constricting it so she had to force her breath through it. Garen, Aiden, we have to get out of here. We have to get back outside. Her head bobbed so water filled her ears and she pulled herself upward again. Suddenly there appeared just next to Kier in the water a shimmering arch, like a doorway its glow a welcome source of light that the terrified warrior could have kissed. Kier had seen it before, only once. Seeing it again brought back the memory of what it was. She didn't know where it had come from, nor where it was leading them. But it was away from this place, and it was their only chance. She adjusted her arm so it was under Fennel's shoulders. She took an enormous breath and shoved off the wall, dragging her friend with her. They plunged under water, and she gave a violent kick, propelling the two of them through the portal. All righty. Any questions? If you do, be sure to get in touch on the Totally Fantastic Title Facebook page or at totallyfantastictitle at gmail.com. And I've also finally set up my Goodreads author page, so there's opportunity for questions and answers in there. Thank you to my beloved husband, who seems to have a broken ankle. Thanks to David and Heather, and to Maggie. Thanks also to David and Sharon. Hey, thanks, Original Six, and thank you, my friends, for listening. Be fantastic.